University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkway. Visit ubc-br.org or at UBCBR on Facebook for more information. We'll take a look at the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14, verse 13. We are in the home stretch of our series, Pathfinder, discovering a journey with Jesus of Nazareth. We've been looking at who Jesus is, what he has been inviting us into, and rethinking what we might assume about him. We've discovered that Jesus is this great pathfinder who is blazing a new path before us and inviting us into this new way of thinking and living. And last week, we we capped off an essential chapter, chapter 9, in which Jesus alone in one chapter heals a paralyzed man, blesses a friend who love their friend enough to bring him before Jesus, love the Pharisees enough to tell them that their religiosity is blinding them from God's true calling, called a despicable tax collector to follow him, heals a woman who's been suffering from 12 years of a disease, resurrects a 12-year-old girl to life, restores hope to her parents, gives two blind men sight, gives the voice back to a man who's been crippled by a demon, and loves the Pharisees enough to rebuke them by showing them that God is more interested in transforming people through love than religious rules and regulations. This all is personified in Matthew's statement in Matthew 9 where he says, Jesus went throughout the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogue, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, healing every disease and sickness, and when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. And so Matthew is is taking us into the deep heart of Christ's love for us. It's not this theoretical or philosophical or religious understanding of God's love, but a deeply experienced spiritual, emotional, and mental love that God has for us. This chapter that we're going to read this morning takes us into a a different light of God's love for us, and it begins in verse 13. It says, when Jesus heard what happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, as, since we are skipping from chapter 9 to chapter 14, it's important to note a few things. Jesus has been busy. He's been teaching and quipping and healing and combating destructive religious systems and encountering the most unwelcoming of visits in his hometown of Nazareth. Then in the direct verses leading up to our story, Jesus' cousin, John the baptizer, is murdered. So yeah, Jesus needs a break. Jesus needs to withdraw to recenter in solitude and prayer except that Jesus' solitude is interrupted by more people in need of his help. Can we connect with Jesus on an experiential level? Life is so busy. 
Life is full of appointments and meetings and practices and goals and deadlines. Life is full of taking our kids to their practices and activities and school functions. Life is so full of stress and heartache and struggle and disappointments and frustrations. Life is always someone else vying for our time, someone else in need of something from us, some organization that wants our money and our business and our time. There is always one more email to answer, one more text to respond to, one more item to check off the agenda, and the church is so busy too. The church is so full of meetings and programs and committees and initiatives and boards and policies. Do you ever feel like, I don't have time for this? I don't have time for these interruptions. I don't have time for this person. I don't have any more time to give to this. And what's fascinating about Jesus, and we saw this in the story where the paralytic is lowered before Jesus as he's teaching a crowd full of people, is that Jesus was not disturbed by such matters. In fact, with Jesus, interruptions don't outplay compassion. There's that word again from Matthew uh, 14, and Jesus says that he had a compassion. This, that word spalagnon. It comes from the bowels. Jesus needed this time away, but people needed Jesus. God is not too busy for us. God's compassion stretches into the chaos and busyness of this world. God's compassion immerses itself into the drowning of our busyness of our personal life. God loves you that much. The great author and priest Henry Nouwen wrote, for years I've always been complaining that my work was interrupted until slowly I discovered that my interruptions were my work. You see, Jesus personifies these remarkable words and the story picks up in verse 15. It says, as evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and we're already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. See, Jesus was fully embracing this situation with healing sickness and teaching people about God's way of thinking and living. Jesus is fully immersed into inviting people into this new path of following him, except hangry bellies start rumbling. Hangry is much worse than hungry because hangry starts to express itself in irritability and impatience. Some of y'all are thinking if you preach long again this week, you're going to start to see some hangry people. Disciples are right there to show the first signs of hangriness. It's time to go through the drive-through, Jesus. Let's send these people home. I've got some cane sauce that's calling my name. Peter, Peter, Jesus, don't you hear the sauce calling my name? You can truly see that this is an interruption that has not gone unnoticed by the disciples. They lack the imagination to see how Jesus can resolve this problem. They laugh lack the cognitive ability to connect the dots that the same guy who healed the sick that stood toe-to-toe with the self-righteous religious leaders that cast out demons that resurrected the dead would be able to fix this problem. And let's be honest, would we? 
I know that I probably would not believe that Jesus had the solution to this problem except to turn people away and have them go. Matthew reports in verse 21 that there were 5,000 men in the crowd. That's just men. Traditionally, men would stood apart from women and children during this time of, of, of history. And most scholars believe that if you really were to count the children and women in this group, there would be anywhere between 10,000 to 20,000 people. You can see why it was tough for the disciples to muster the imagination to fix this problem, to see this opportunity for Jesus to show God's love to these people. And I think we can connect with the disciples and with these people. Has there been times in your life, as I know there have been in mine, in which you look at the circumstances of, of conflict and and situations, and decisions, and frustrating chapters, and nothing makes more sense except what seems practical. It makes more sense to leave, to give up, to submit to the totality of this situation. This has happened in work, in school, in families, in relationships, and circumstances, in our community, in our neighborhoods, in our world. The solution though we don't like it, is really simple. Let's do the obvious thing. Except just like the disciples lack the imagination, so too we forget who is with us. The disciples forget that Jesus is right there with them. Jesus is here saying to us, just as he did to the disciples, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. What's fascinating what Jesus is saying here is that you have what you need. I am here. You are here. You have the solution to this problem. You see, the disciples look into their hands and they see only five loaves of bread and two fishes, and they look out of the crowd and see 20,000 people. Are you working out of a scarcity in your life? This is all I have. Jesus is here asking you to work out of abundance. You have what you need. Jesus is here with you. Jesus is here with us. The story continues in verse 18. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking five loaves and two fish, gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate, about 5,000 men, besides the women and children. This is nothing short of a miracle. Can you imagine the look on the disciples' faces as Jesus gave thanks and began to broke, break it among them? It's not every day that folks that five loaves of bread and two fishes are divided up to feed 20,000 people. You know that Jesus, this is the only miracle that Jesus performs that is reported in all four of the Gospels. That tells us something significant about this moment. It tells us something significant about what Jesus is doing here. It tells us something significant about how this formed the disciples. It tells us something significant about how it impacted these people. So what can we learn from the text? The first thing I think we can learn from this text is that God's compassion is expressed through providing. The people were hungry, so Jesus provided. And Jesus didn't just provide. Matthew tells us that the people were satisfied and there were leftovers. 
there ain't nothing better than going to a good meal and taking home a to-go plate. But when you put this in the context of the other moments of Jesus' ministry thus far in Matthew, the sick are healed, the possessed are set free, the social outcasts are welcome, the rigidity of self-righteous religiosity is softened by grace, the blind are made to see, the dead are raised, the imprisoned are set free, and the hungry are fed. Jesus' compassion is expressed through provisions. James writes, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows, who chooses to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be kind of the first fruits of all he created. You see, out of God's bountiful love for you, God desires to provide. Now, when I was a kid, I had really ambitious Christmas wish lists. Wishes, lists, that's why I'm drinking water. Wish lists. And my parents are here this morning too, yeah proclaim truth to this. One year, I asked for a replica Dan Marino Miami Dolphins uniform, like the full uniform. And for some reason that year, they gave me a Troy Aikman Dallas Cowboys dress-up outfit. (laughs) You know my lifelong hatred for the Cowboys. One year, I asked my parents for this top-of-the-line GT Pro Series BMX bike, and they gave me a reasonable Haro bike instead. This one's the kicker. (laughs) On Christmas Eve one year in 1992, I prayed that Michelle Pfeiffer would show up at a house on Christmas morning. You see, that was the year that Batman Returns came out and she was playing Catwoman. I don't have to explain my eight-year-old self to you. (laughs) Stop judging me. When I was 14, I asked my parents for a Jeep Wrangler for Christmas because, you know, every good parent gives their child a really nice car two years before they actually get their driver's license. You see, it's really tricky when you start to say that God expresses God's compassion for us through providing. What does and does not God provide? Who does and does not receive God's provision? There are some challenging theological questions that might arise. I was thinking this morning of how I've experienced the provisions of God in my life from 2010, the concept of starting a church came to mind, and we had a decision to make, to forego two churches that offered for me to serve as their senior pastor, and to leave a really comfortable paying job as the associate minister of First Baptist Church of Clayton, North Carolina, to start a church with two other couples. Anytime God calls you to leave a really well-paying and comfortable job while you have a baby on the way is a moment of faith. And that's why we had people say to us often, either God has called you to this or you are certifiably insane. Mosaic began worship in October of 2011, and it was pretty much guaranteed that by December 31st of that year, I would be leaving my job at First Clayton. But we prayed over this situation again and again. I remember asking God, pretty please, please give me a job so that I can provide for my family. In November of 2011, I received a call from a close friend of mine, sat me down, and he said, for months now I've been praying about how God can lead me to support y'all starting this church. So here's what I'm going to do. For the first two years of the church, I'm going to pay for your family's health insurance. A $12,000 investment. 
When we first started Mosaic and I had stepped away from my job at First Clayton, I wasn't able to take a salary from that church start in the way that I needed. About half of our bills were not getting paid. So I prayed that God would provide a job for us. And God has a sense of humor, and I have a master's degree, yet somehow the job I landed was making minimum wage at a new gym that opened in town. And every morning I got up, I opened the gym, I read over contracts, I did accounting work, and it paid the bills. You see, God provided, not in the ways that I necessarily expected, but in the ways that we needed. I remember when Jennifer and I got married, we were living in an apartment, we desperately wanted to get a home to establish our family in, and that year for Christmas, my nana gave us a gift that essentially was the down payment of our house. Now, this is not the beginning of a prosperity gospel message. This is just a few testimonies of my life of how I've experienced the provisions of God. Yes, God gives gifts to individuals, but those were individuals who were responding to God's calling in their life to bless other people. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus calls his followers to not worry about what they will eat, what they will drink, what they will wear, because God provides for such things. He calls them not to store up treasures on earth, because those things will fade away. Instead, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Ask, seek, and knock, and God will give to you. If we can remove the entitled and expectant lens from our eyes, we would begin to see just how much God does provide for us. And before we even get any deeper in the conversation, we can begin to look at not just the miraculous things, not just somebody paying for your health insurance, but the things that God gives us each and every single day. Everyone take a, a deep breath in and out. My goodness, God provides air for our lungs. Touch the clothes on your body. These maybe aren't the nicest of things, but God provides for what we need to cover our bodies. Think about if you can just kick your legs up in the air. I can't go too high. These jeans are a little too tight. The ability to, and function to move and to speak around. David Patterson, come here. Come give me a hug. Come give me a hug. It was going to be creepy if I asked somebody else. This, right here, we have this thing called the church, the community. I want to keep holding on to David the whole time. Think about the things that God gives us each and every single day. The tangible things that sometimes we take for granted. God provides for us. God shows God's compassion for us through these provisions. God desires to bless us in ways not that we expect or necessarily deserve, and God blows us away by the gifts that God gives us. Leftovers, baskets full of blessings, what do we have in our life? Might we also consider that we inflate needs over wants? Might it be that we see a problem and a conflict is actually an opportunity that God has given us so that we can recognize and step out in faith to follow Christ into that situation. You see, Jesus told parables, and some of his stories were, were fascinating. They were so simple, so remarkable. One particular parable Jesus said, he said, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It's like a, like a mustard seed, which a man takes and plants in his garden, and it grew into a tree, and birds perched on its branches. 
He said, again, what do I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like yeast that a woman took and mixed into 60 pounds of flour until worked all the way through the dough. You see, Jesus shared simple stories that give us glimpses and mysteries into the vitality of the kingdom of God. What is Jesus saying? The kingdom of God is effective and powerful and irrepressible. Mixed into people's lives, the kingdom will grow and expand, transforming the very nature of an individual. You see, in the same way that the kingdom of God starts as a small seed or small amount of yeast, it can begin to grow into our life. So what is the kingdom of God like? Well, kingdom of God is like five loaves of bread and two fish that in the hands of Christ can make a difference. God is asking us, what is in our hands? What resources and strengths and assets and gifts and connections and networks and opportunities and experiences and wisdom and so on do we have? Are we willing to believe that God can take these things, stuff that might seem significant, insignificant and small, and believe that God can do something profound with it, for us and through us? And if we have faith as small as a mustard seed, or if we have a little bit of yeast that we can mix into the dough of our life, do we have the faith to receive these provisions of God? The disciples would have never experienced if they had not opened up to the possibilities of such a miracle. The crowd would have never experienced the bread and the fish and the feast of God unless they had been there that day to experience Christ. All too often we do not receive the blessings of God and, and, and see them in our lives because we're not willing to step out in faith to see that what we have in our hand is what God is providing for us. Someone had to give up their five loaves of bread and two fish in order to let Jesus do a mighty work. Someone had to say, this is my lunch, but here you go. Are we willing to step out in faith and give our lunch over to God? A lot of us may spend an entire life never receiving the blessings of God because we're not willing to give God over our five loaves and two fish. Jeremiah writes, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in God. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots into the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Final thing I want us to see from our text this morning is that compassion connects people to the truth of the gospel. Notice Jesus didn't say, well, you can tell those hungry and tired people, they can go on. I don't care about them. So Jesus responds with, with so much compassion. God's provisions will not only fill our lives with what we need in all situations, but also is such a blessing that it pours out of our lives into the lives of others. Look at how 20,000 people were affected by five loaves of bread and two fish. Can you imagine what God can do with your life? With all of your gifts and strengths and assets and personality and passions and experience and wisdom and resources. How might God use you to transform the lives of your friends and your coworkers and your families and your neighbors and members of this faith community and the people of Baton Rouge? 
Can you imagine what God can do in our hands, UBC? Can you imagine as God looks at our hands and sees our collective gifts and strengths and assets and personalities and passions and experiences and wisdom and resources? So it begins with a simple word of faith. Believing that God can take what is in our hands and use it for the kingdom of God. As individuals, this is an act of faith to to care and to love for the people that God brings into our lives. As a church community, this is an act of faith to intentionally care for those who interact with our faith community, whether it be on Sunday morning or through connect groups or soccer academy or participating in this community. Jesus is here saying to us, just as he said to the disciples, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. What's fascinating about what Jesus is saying here is you have what you need. I am here. You are here. You have the solution to this problem. Disciples looked into their hands and saw five loaves of bread and two fishes. They looked out of the crowd and saw 20,000 people. Are we working out of a scarcity in our life? This is all that I have. Jesus is here asking us individually and collectively to work out of abundance. You have what you need. Jesus is here with you. Jesus is here with us. As the psalmist declares, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord.